okay, I'm going to, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to spend five, 10 years in here. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to add five to 10 years to my life because I quit smoking. And while I'm in here, I'm going to fucking take control of my shit. And that's the way it works. So when I, before I got out of jail, uh, I wrote a letter to an ex-girlfriend from high school that I was in love with for years. And, and we were together in high school and we broke up. I broke up with her in high school because I knew I was going to prison and I knew she was. What a year 2020 was. 2021 is here and I hope you're hitting the ground running. I know we are here at Dwelling. We've just got a deal on the contract. We're going to be closing on soon. For those that have joined us on that deal, um, you know what I'm talking about. If you are saying, what am I talking about? Then you need to take your investing game to the next level in this year. So make sure you join the Dwelling deal list, an exclusive deal list. Um, not only do you get access to our deals quickly, but you also get tips and tricks about you know how you can take your, your investing game to the next level this year. So if you are not on the Dwelling deal list, click on the link in the show notes or just go to dwelling.com. Um, that's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N.com or just go to investwithola.com and just sign up, sign up, sign up, sign up. Thank you so much for joining us on The Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Ola Dantis. I've got an incredible guest with us today, Mark Owens. Hey, Mark. How's it going, sir? Hey, good, Ola. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm always you know, happy to get on these things and hopefully help some other people and inspire them. So I really appreciate the opportunity. No, my, my absolute pleasure. Um, you've got an incredible story. Um, you know, And I want to go all the way back from kind of age 12 years old right so kind of walk us all the way tell us a little bit about you know kind of your your, your story and then we'll kind of get into the real estate but I really want you to share your, your story okay so here's how do I put this when I was 12 years old it, you might not think this is relevant but when I was 12 years old I started smoking pot cigarettes started drinking when I was 13 started shooting coke and heroin when I was 17 uh, in Baltimore City where I grew up. Uh, 17 year old junkie kicked out of high school. Over the next uh, seven, eight years, I lived that lifestyle, which is consisted of robbing, cheating, stealing, lying, living in the streets, in and out of drug rehabs, kicked out of half of them, in and out of jails and prisons. And uh, what I discovered, and this is like, this is actually, it really is important for real estate investors is that up until that point, I'd always been looking outside of myself for the answers. I never blamed anybody else for my problems. I mean, like I chose to, to, to do this lifestyle. And so, and there are consequences to that. Sometimes the consequences are years in prison. And, but those were all my fault. Uh, but when I was trying to get help, when I was trying to figure I like, how do I get away from this shit? Like this life that I've a part of, like, I want to get away from this. How do I do it? And I was always looking outside of myself for the answers it was I tried NA. I tried AA. I tried rehabs. I tried different churches. I tried different religions. I tried different girlfriends. I moved to different States. I tried everything that I could think of. And so as we fast forward through this, it was September, 1989. I had, uh, I had a warrant for my arrest for a bank robbery. 
in Philly. I had done literally dozens of robberies in the state of Maryland and uh, stolen a bunch of cars. I mean, just like, you know, that whole thing. And it was September 8th, 1989. I got arrested for running. I ran a red light in a stolen car. I know it sounds stupid, but a friend and I just, we had a motel. We just robbed the store. We went and bought some Coke two o'clock in the morning, one o'clock, something like that. We were on our way back to the motel to get high and nothing, you know, junkies got their drugs. You know, it's like, man, ain't nothing stopping us. Like we want to get there no matter what. And ended up getting locked up. Uh, I went to, ended up going to Baltimore County Detention Center. It was September 8th, 89, October 2nd. I tried to escape out of the detention center. Uh, missed it by that much. Thank God now. Uh, but I was, you know, I was ready to, go out through this window, which I had gotten two thirds of the way through and jack a car, you know, in a McDonald's behind the jail. That was like, that was my plan. And, uh, fortunately, so I'm, I had, my punishment was six months on lockup while I was awaiting to get a trial on these robbery charges in five different, six different jurisdictions. And so when I'm in, in this Lockup, you're locked up for 23 hours a day in a cell by yourself and you get out for an hour a day. So you got plenty of time to think and not much time to, you know, to do anything else. During that period of time, my attorney came to see me and uh, we're sitting in a little, you know, conference room and he looks at me and he says, man, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like you're already in jail. Can't you even stay out of trouble in jail? Don't you realize that if you like do the right thing, you can be home by the time you're 30 years old, you'll be young enough to start a whole new life. And of course I felt dumb as shit, you know, listening to this, I'm like, yeah, I am a fuck up. You know, it's like just one more thing that I fucked up. And, uh, I went back to my cell and I started, I started thinking about what he said. And what he said was, you can be young enough to start a whole new life. And that was the beginning of my change in mindset, because the truth is like the last month I was on the street, I was like all in, like, I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this until I get shot or overdose or, you know, run into a wall when I'm running from the cops. Like I'm like getting arrested wasn't an option. It's just like, I'm just going to do this till I'm done. I was all in. And now here I am on lockup. Uh, things didn't work out as planned. I'm still alive. And my attorney says, man, you can start a whole new life. And that was like the first thing that happened in this, in this chain of events that happened, that uh, occurred. But I'm going to fast forward about six months into the future. And I was sitting, I got out the lockup and I'm on a, one of the, they call them pods. I call them tears because that's where I spent most of my time on, on tears. But uh, I'm out on the pod and there's a table there where we eat and play poker and all the other bullshit. And there was a book laying there called You Can If You Think You Can. Pick the book up. I've read every Louis L'Amour book you can find in jail. I've read every Stephen King book you can find. And this thing was called You Can If You Think You Can. And I picked it up and I looked at it. And it was a self-help book. And it was the first one that I'd ever seen. Like, I didn't even know what self-help was. You know, I mean, I obviously I needed to help myself, but I didn't know there was like a whole industry built around this stuff. And I started reading this book and halfway through the book, I quit smoking cigarettes. You could smoke in jail in 1990. It was April of 1990. Uh, and uh, 
this author convinced me that the solution to my problems wasn't on the outside. It was on the inside. And I had to start by believing in myself that I could do it, that, that I like, man, you fucking got this. Like you fucking got this. And you can imagine like, if you're a guy, uh, I'm going to put this in guy terms. Like if you're going to like go in a boxing ring with somebody, you have to go in that ring thinking, man, I'm going to fuck this guy up. I'm tearing his fucking hat off. I don't give a shit. He's going down. You have to go in with that attitude. You still might get your ass kicked, but if you go in with the attitude like, man, this guy's going to beat me up. I hope he doesn't punch me in the face. Like you already lost. You haven't even gotten the ring and you already lost because you have no confidence in yourself. You have to have the confidence. And this book gave me the confidence that I could change my life. I could take control of this shit. It's up here. It's not out there. It's not a church. It's not AA. It's not NA. It's not some girlfriend that's even crazier than I am. The, the answer is in here, believing in yourself. And this book convinced me that. And I quit smoking cigarettes. And I said, you know what? I'm going to quit to show my family and myself that I'm, I'm fucking serious. Like, I'm not playing around. And I gave a half pack of cigarettes I had to another guy, Frank Bertina, who was on the pod with me. And that was it. And during the next, I spent a total of about four years and nine months locked up. Deserved every day of it. Uh, I did some bad things and I deserved that. But I, my mindset was, I'm not in jail. I'm not in prison. I'm in rehab. This is my rehab. And this is taking mm. me away from that game long enough where I can get this shit together and prepare myself so when I get out, I have an amazing life. Now, my idea of an amazing life then was just being average, man. Like, if I can buy a little row house in the city and make, you know, 45 grand a year and drive a you know, a 10 year old Honda Civic, like, man, that's like an amazing life to me because I was like little, literally like living in, you know, bandos, abandoned houses. And, uh, you know, I, I ate Christmas dinner at a homeless shelter in Florida. I mean, I was like, I was like that. So for me, having like just being average was like an amazing life. And uh, so during the next, you know, four years in prison, I, you know, finished two years of college, got an AA degree it's the real shit in there, man. I mean, the instructors come from the junior college that's in that County with the same books, the same exams, like everything's the same. We just don't have the distractions like girlfriends and jobs and bills and stuff like that. So we're able to, to do it. But I, I got the tier degree. I got a six year or six month construction certificate, which I actually used when I got out, I got in into construction. And, uh, and the thing that's most surprising to people is, I opened a bank account. I read a lot of books in jail. I think one of them was like the barber next door or something like that, or the wealthy barber, something that got me thinking about, man, I need to build credit. I don't have any credit. I opened a bank account in jail. I called my, I actually called my grandma and said, listen, I'm going to send you $500. I want to open a bank account with Provident Bank. I'm in jail. I can't do it. Can you help me? So she helped me put this whole process together and I sent a money order, uh, I was able to save up the money in jail because I lived below my means, which I'll talk about with real estate. And so I ended up opening a bank account with them. And then what I did was I got a $500 loan from the bank, a secured loan, which meant they're keeping my $500 I got in my savings account is security. And then they lent me 500 and I started making payments towards that. So every month I'd send off my little money order for like 20 bucks or whatever. But man, I can't tell you how good that made me feel to know like, man, you know, I'm in prison. People say you can't do shit in here. You're locked up like bullshit, man. This is my fucking rehab. I'm rehabilitating myself and I'm doing this shit. And I've never heard of anybody getting a fucking bank loan in prison, but I'm doing it. I'm going to build up my credit. I'm not going to just sit down and take this shit 
and waste my waste these years of my life. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking create an amazing life starting right now. And I did it. And, and I'll tell you, I'm going to back up and I quit smoking cigarettes. My thought process was, I want to quit. I know they're bad for you. They suck. And, but it was also like, man, I got to do some years. I mean, I got to do some years in jail. It might be three, it might be five, it might be 10. I don't know how many, but I've got to do some. And I can make that back. If I quit smoking, I, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to live five years longer or 10 years longer. So for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to spend five, 10 years in here. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to add five to 10 years to my life because I quit smoking. And while I'm in here, I'm going to fucking take control of my shit. And that's the way it works. So when I, before I got out of jail, uh, I wrote a letter to an ex-girlfriend from high school that I was in love with for years. And, and we were together in high school and we broke up. I broke up with her in high school because I knew I was going to prison and I knew she was going to college. Like I, like it just wasn't going to work. And so I broke up with her and then you know, when I originally got locked up, I sent her, I mailed her a letter from jail and she wrote me back and she said she saw a wanted poster with a drawing on it. And she said the picture looked like me. She thought it might be me. And it was. And she has a great life going on. You know, she's you know got a boyfriend, an apartment, a job, like career, like finished college. It's like I was really happy for her. And uh, so I just I didn't write her anymore. And then like maybe six, seven, eight months later, or six, seven or eight months before I got out of prison, I sent her another letter. And I was like, hey, I'm, you know, coming up for parole soon. You know, here's what I've done since I've been locked up, you know, you know, making the best of this situation. I hope all is well with you. And she wrote me back and she told me, you know, her life's great. Don't write her anymore. So, you know, I thought about that and this is, this is the message. This is what I did that is another thing that, that made a huge difference in my life is I decided I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write her one more letter and I'm going to be honest about everything. I'm going to tell her everything I've always wanted to tell her, but was afraid to tell her. And then like, just to clear like these cobwebs from my mind, this, you know, my conscience, cause I just felt like so bad about the way that I'd broken up with her for, you know, I guess it had been eight years or something. I just felt terrible about it. And so I wrote her a letter and said, listen, you know, I didn't break up with you because I thought you were, you know, flirting with some other guys or broke up with you because I knew I was a, a fucking loser and I was going to wind up where I'm at. And I knew that you were a winner and you were going to wind up where you were at and I couldn't drag you down with me. And that's, that's the way that it was. And that's the way I felt about it. And I just want you to know that. And I, I felt good. It took me like three days to write the letter. I just wanted to make sure that every word was right. Every, you know, everything was right. And I, and I wasn't expecting to necessarily hear back from her again, but I did about two weeks later. And her message was, well, you know, on second thought, we can, you know, we can be pen pals. And then a couple of months later, she came up to see me. Ended up, you know, I made parole, got out a few months after that. I think it was June 6th of uh, 1994. And, you know, we got back together and we picked up and it was just an amazing thing. And we ended up getting married a couple of years later. We've been married now since 1998. I can't do the math. Get out of here. No way. Yeah. And so she, you know, she's an amazing woman. She is like, I hope she never listens to this, but she's better than I deserve. You know, she's just an amazing person. And uh, I wouldn't want her to know that. 
it's one of those things that you know, they use it again, head. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've been married since 19, actually, was it 19, 90, 1996? We've been married 25 years. We bought the house that we're in in 1998, and we had our son in 1999. And uh, so that's, so that's like the story. That's before real estate. Like, that's where I came from. And, uh, and the truth yeah. is, like, you know, a lot of the, here's the stuff, man. It's like the, the shit that I learned in the street has been able, I've been able to apply a lot of those lessons to business. And like, this is the main one, like, man, where there's a will, there's a way you got a junkie that wants to get high and they got that money. They'll figure out a way to get money. I want to buy that. I want to buy that apartment building and it's going to cash flow good. And I got that money. I'm going to find a way to get that money. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's It's the the same same energy. It's the same energy. And I know, I know we spent all this time, like, but I was just listening. I mean, I was a mute, you know, listening and watching you and I was just paying attention, but just literally every little section of your story has helped to get you to where you, you are today. And it's just fascinating to watch. It, it was, you know, I was thinking about that this morning, but exactly about what you said. It's like, we, you know, we can have a lot of regrets about our past. And of course I, I do have a lot of regrets about my past, not about things that affected me, but about the way that my actions affected other people. Like that's the tragedy of the whole thing but the truth is like we're here right now right here and if we maybe if we had taken a different turn we wouldn't be you know we, we might be in the ground exactly so, exactly so it's like i'm just i'm just grateful to be here i'm sorry about it. and and so you know i try to make amends like every day just by being like the most the most decent person that i can and 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 trying to like be add value to the world Instead of take it away, I try to add value every single day. So let so, me ask you. Let me ask you, Mark. So you know, you, you got out. You, you know, you you found. You know, you got back with you know the, the woman of your dreams. Things were going great. How did you kind of make that leap from there to real estate? What was your process? Did you, you said you worked construction a little bit? Like, what was that? How did you get into real estate? Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna try to make this brief. So I got out of jail before I got out, I had a job lined up. I was in minimum security and I drove in a truck with a state employee and we would go to different companies to like deliver furniture and stuff like that, all state office buildings. And uh, I think I, I think they paid me three bucks a day. And I got a bag lunch was like a cheese sandwich. <laughs> it was like nothing special. <laughs> and one of the places we stopped was uh, this factory that made parts for the furniture where they dipped raw steel into these things and it came out with chrome plating on it and when one day when i was in there this factory was in baltimore city and i asked the owner i was like look man i'm gonna be home in a few months I'm, i need a job you know i'm a felon but i'm looking for work like would you be would you be willing to hire me or consider it and he said yeah come see me when you get out i just went and saw him the day after i got out and i got the job working at a factory making six dollars an hour in 1994 so that's where I started. Um, a few months after that, it was pretty far from my house. And I ended up getting a job doing construction, like framing houses for new construction, where I was able to take some of the skills that I learned in prison with this construction course that I took and actually, you know, get a job where I think I was making seven fifty an hour. So it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it was, you know, 25% raised from the factory. And, uh, did that. And then this is another weird thing that I did. It was I started going to, I went back to college 
and I went to UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And my major, I already had a two-year degree, but I wanted to continue in school and I wanted to get a bachelor's degree in biochemistry. They had a program where if you went five years, you get a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and a master's degree in molecular biology, which is, I had always been interested in science and in all this stuff. So that's the major that I chose. Got a job working as a lab technician, went from doing the construction to a lab technician job while I was going to school full time. And I started to find out that there's no jobs in that. Like you don't make any money. And unless you have a PhD, you're like, you're just, you're never going to make anything. And I thought, well, man, this is like, this kind of sucks. And I got laid off from that job. And then I got a job at another as a lab technician somewhere else. And I saw them, they started laying off a bunch of people. And I was just a temp at the time. And I thought, man, this isn't good. I'm looking in the newspaper. This was, you know, like 1998, I guess. Craigslist wasn't around yet. Uh, Facebook wasn't around. Google wasn't around. And I'm thumbing through these, you know, the help wanted uh, section of the newspaper. There'd be like three lab technician jobs in like, three pages of computer jobs and I'm, I'm looking through them and I'm like, it says like, you know, one year experience, 75,000 a year. And I'm like, man, what the fuck? Like, like these people, like they're not that bright. Like I see them here, like, you know, fixing their printers and shit. Like they're not any smarter than I am. Like I'm in the wrong field. I got to get into this shit. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what I did. I, I, and so I, I talked to a friend that was in the in the IT business. And he said, man, don't, he says, don't waste your time getting a four-year degree in computers. You won't even have to hook up a printer when you're done. He said, you need to get certifications, industry certifications. That's where it's at. And at the time, the hottest one was what was called a MCSE or Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer. And I started taking those classes and reading the books and taking the exams. And I got my MCSE and I ended up leaving the lab job that I was in where I was making 15 an hour. And I started my first IT job at 15 an hour working on a, a help desk at Leg Mason. Uh, after six months, Leg Mason fired me. They were, here's, and this is like the struggles that, that I've had to deal with. Like, but I, I don't like, I don't, I don't blame that. Like I'm grateful that I've had these struggles because it's put me where I'm at today. They, they offer, I was working as a consultant which is just a fancy word for meaning you're a temp. I didn't know shit. I'm a consultant. I don't know anything. I'm like, you know, I'm just like a bumblebee. I'm just like a worker. And uh, so they offered me a full-time job after six months. And I told my boss, I was like, listen, that's great. But I mean, there's something I need to tell you. Uh, I'm a felon. You know, I like I had a bunch of robberies and a bank robbery and all this. And she was like, you know, shocked because, I don't carry myself like that. And uh, she says, well, just, you know, hang on a minute. And she called HR and I could tell like her face, like it was starting, like it looked like somebody was taking the air out. Like it was starting to deflate, you know, and she hung up and she just looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry. And like, it, I could see like the, like the tears welling up in her eye. Uh, her name was Myrna Jackson. And we are friends today. So we're on Instagram. And we've spoken on the phone. Um, and that was, you know, 25 years ago, something like that. And she, uh, you know, she told me she was so sorry. Like within like 30 seconds, there were two security guys walking in her office to get me, to escort me to my desk to get my things, which consisted, I didn't have a cell phone or anything. I think I might have had a pen. And then they, <laughs> they took me to the, 
took me to the elevator down 25 flights out to the street. And they're like, see ya. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm looking up, you know, at the top of the building. I'm like, man, I was just, I was on the 25th floor. I could look out the window and overlook the Baltimore Inner Harbor. It was, I was, you know, and now I'm like, I'm in the street, literally in the, standing in the street. And, uh, but, I, you know, I had experienced a lot of defeats in the past. And I just thought, okay, well, you know, the door just slammed shut on my ass. But another one's going to open. You have to take action. You can't just sit here and do nothing and feel sorry for yourself and feel like a victim. Victim, this is my fault. I did this shit. This is my fault. These are the consequences of taking the actions that I took. And so one of the things that's made it possible for me to get to where I am now is taking 100% responsibility for everything in my life. There are things that have happened in my life that are not my fault. But the way that I respond to those is a hundred percent my fault, hundred percent, and and that's where you know maybe the cops an asshole, maybe the, maybe the boss is an asshole, maybe the landlord's an asshole, but how am I going to respond to it? And that is what makes the difference between success and failure to me. So I ended up getting another job where I was making more money, and I'm going to fast forward. I went through a few jobs where my income kept going up, and then I got a job offer uh, to teach computer classes online for thirty five dollars an hour. And this was around maybe the year 2000, something like that. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, like, God, I'm going to make $35 an hour. Like, you know, I've been out of jail like five years. And like, this is crazy. And so I took the job. And then I met a guy, Gerald. I can't remember his last name. Gerald was doing the same thing I'm doing. And he's making $100 an hour. And I'm making 35. And I'm like, hmm, Gerald, how the fuck are you making $100 an hour? And he, and he says, well, I'm a Microsoft certified system. Or uh, he says, I'm a Microsoft certified trainer. I'm like, okay, well, how do, how do I do that? And he says, you have to get your MCSE. Got that. You have to take a train to trainer class. Well, what's that? It's a two day class cost a few hundred bucks. I'm like, well, where can I take it? And I got the information. I took that class. Sent you just, you, you just kept asking questions, right? This is, yeah. it sounds so like, I hope people listening are picking from this. This is so good. That was it. And, and so I did what he said to do. And then, and this is like a rich dad, poor dad moment. What came up was I I got all this. I got my Microsoft certified trainer certification. I had my a plus net plus, which is computer repairing, like, you know, building them. And then the other one was uh, networks. This was before like wireless networks and all that stuff. And uh, I had a CCNA, which is a Cisco certification and my Microsoft certified systems. And so I was pretty like qualified, like on paper, I look good. And uh, so I got this job teaching. And then, you know, Gerald says he makes a hundred bucks an hour. Did that, got that certification. Then I got two job offers the same day. The first job offer was making $72,000, five minutes from my house. You work from like, you know, 830 to three every day, get vacation, but you know, you put your 72,000 is it. And then I got another job offer. Uh, teaching at colleges, different colleges all over the state of Maryland. And it was, their pay structure was, they were going to pay me $6,000 per month and had to work 12 days. That sounds pretty good. And then they said, any day that I work above that, if I choose to, they'll pay me $700 per day or $350 for evening for like, because it's a half day, like evening classes. But you're going to be driving to colleges all over the state doing this. That's the that's the path that I chose. I chose it wasn't as comfortable, 
uh, because now instead of driving five minutes from home and working, I'm, you know, I could be driving all over the place, but I'm only working 12 days instead of typical 20 days. There, when I started that job, I took everything that I could get. Uh, I was constantly calling them, hey, do you have anything else? Do you have anything else? And it ended up where, I mean, I, I was typically making 130 to 150,000 a year because if I taught A plus and that plus, it only paid $50 an hour. But I loved teaching those. I was really good at it. And, and up, let me back up. Up until that point, I was also, you know, like the only public speaking I had ever done was like in a courtroom. Like, yes, your honor, no, your honor, you know, yes, I do, your honor. Like, that's the only public speaking I ever did. And that's the worst, man. Like, that's the fucking worst. I mean, you're looking at the judge and it's like, man, this fucking guy, you know, he's either going to throw the book at me or, you know, it's like, man, it's terrible. And of course, and you, everybody's behind you like, yeah, we'll see what happens to that boy. You know, it's like, so I started teaching these classes and uh, I found out I was good at it. And I, and you know, like a lot of us, for a lot of things, if you're good at it, it just makes you want to do it more and more, which is like why I'm here now and why I speak at re-events and meetups and stuff like that, because I enjoy it. I love it. And I can sit down and talk to an audience of investors, whether they're new investors or they've been doing it for years. And I see the lights going off in their eyes, like where they, they're looking at things in a way that they never looked at them before. And they see some potential and opportunity where before they just saw like a dead end. Like, man, that fuels my fire right there. Like, I love that. And that's why I like doing these, because it gives me the opportunity to reach out and maybe inspire people that I'll never meet or never see. But if I can, if I can spend an hour one morning and do something like this and potentially make the difference in some people's lives, like, man, I can't think of a better use. of hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, so that's why I'm here. But so, so I started the real, I started the, you know, the teaching the IT classes and this is one of the things, and this is hard for people, especially guys, because we all want to go out and buy, you know, expensive car and watches and all that crap. Live below your means. If you're making 100 grand a year, live like you're making 80. If you if you get a raise and you're making 200 grand a year, live like you're making 80. Just keep doing that. Keep banking your money. Uh, and that's what I did when I started making really good money. Like to me, 130,000 a year was like beyond my wildest dreams. But I also know what it's like to be in the street a thousand miles from home with no money and no food and nowhere to go and thinking like, man, how the fuck am I going to eat lunch today? Like, you know, like I'm fucking hungry now and I got nothing. I don't know anybody in this town. And so I was always, I had that fear, like, man, like, like of losing everything and being back at that place. So I just like bang, 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 save, 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 save. And, uh, you know, I started investing in the stock market, which to me, this is just my opinion. It's like a casino. It's like, and, and I know from my experience working at like Mason, the way that some stuff works behind the scenes and, you know, I've made a bunch of money and then the market took a dump with the dot-com crash and I, and I lost everything that I'd made. I still had my, what I invested, but I lost, you know, all the money that I'd made with the money I invested. So I hurried up and pulled everything out. And the next question is, well, I got to invest this in something. What the hell should I do? And I thought rental properties. Maybe if I buy some rentals. And I put together a little Excel spreadsheet. And I was looking for a cash on cash return. This is me. This is the time I did it. I was looking for a 30% cash on cash return. And it took a while to find one. It took like six months. And I bought my first, it was actually three apartments in a big garage 
Uh, I bought that in around end of February of 2002. So that was, I can't even do the math, 19 plus years ago. It's when I bought my first one. And over the course, now you got to think about this. Back in 2002, again, there was no Craigslist. I never heard of any meetups or RIAs. There was meetup.com. I don't even think it existed back then. There were no RIAs. I didn't know any landlords for the first couple of years. And, but I just kept buying and buying and buying. And uh, back then you could put 10% down and the bank would finance the rest. So I was buying turnkey stuff. And then I started to meet people and started to network. I'm going to tell you right now, if, if I can give you one piece of advice for the real estate business or for any business, I'm actually starting into another business now, a speaking business. The most important things two things that go hand in hand. One is your reputation. Do what you say you're going to do. You want people to be able to count on you and tell the truth. Even if people don't like it, people know if they ask me something, I'm going to tell you what I think. You might not like the answer, but you know, you're not getting a lot of bullshit. You're getting what I really think. So be honest, protect your reputation, no matter what, even if it means leaving money on the table, even if it means letting the plumber rip you off, whatever, just walk away, maintain your reputation. And the second thing is, networking. The more people that know you, the more people that you know, the more opportunities that you're going to have to do business. You know, you're going to, if people, if somebody in Baltimore right now gets a 10 unit property that they're looking at that needs renovation and they're thinking, shit, man, I want to flip this contract. I know I can get 50 K for this. Who can I call? I want to be the guy they call. I want to be the guy. And if people know me and I'm, fairly well known in the Baltimore area. People know me. I'm going to be the person that they call and I get the deal. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they know me and they know that I'm going to follow through. There's no bullshit, no games. I'm going to show up at the table. Here's your assignment fee. Thanks. If you find another one, let me know. Let me know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's it, man. So, that, yes. so that's, that's the biggest key to my real estate success. And wow. I, when I started with, I had like 130 when I started that I'd saved up when I was doing this computer stuff. And, uh, you know, I just, the latest, the, how do I put this? Five years in, I was buying 10 unit buildings or, or higher that needed renovation. That was what I was getting into. And eventually I got up to the point where I had uh, a little over a hundred units of my own. And then I had a business partner. It's a long story because I'm really against partnerships. And we had like another 14 or 15 units together. Wow. And here's the, here's the big secret. This is the first, you know, public time that I've really talked about this is that uh, I've sold two thirds of my portfolio in the last six months. So it's a long-term gain or game. It's a long-term gain. You know, it's like I was, I was always uh, interested in the cash flow stuff. The equity was huge. Anyway, I know we're going to be running out of time in a few minutes. So I just, I want to just, how do I put this? I just want to talk about the most important lessons I've learned in this business. Talked about the networking, talked about the relationships, uh, the talked about, you know, integrity and maintaining your reputation at all, at, no matter what, like those are the most important things. Right. But then there's also cash flow. Like don't buy stuff that like has break even cash flow. Like you got to look for stuff where you're going to get a good return on your money because you can have 10 houses with break even cash flow. What happens when you get two vacancies? You need yeah, two right, roofs. Right. Hey, where's the money going to come from? So there's right. there are three phases to this business, in my opinion. The first phase 
is you want to get enough properties so that the business can support itself. Meaning if you get a vacant unit, the cash flow from the other units can cover the mortgage on that and the turnover repairs. If you get two vacant units, your business can support itself where you're not coming out of your own pocket with your W-2 money or your 1099 money, wherever you get your income from, where the business can support itself. Then the next phase is starting to, for me, starting to replace your work income with rental income. So business can support itself. Now, maybe I need to get 15 more properties, 20 more, whatever it is to replace my work income. That's what I did. And I was a contractor. So I was able to just say, you know what, I'm instead of working five, six days a week and four nights a week, I'm just going to work days. I'm not going to work nights anymore. And then I scaled back more where I said, I'm just going to work nights, but I'm not going to work days anymore. And then I scaled back and said, I'm just going to work every other week. And I was able to the phase out of my IT career as my rental portfolio increased. So those are the first two phases. Business supports itself. You're able to replace your work income with rental income. Then the third phase is where you can invest in things where maybe you have break-even cash flow, but you got a fuck ton of equity. Like you just, you know, renovated a 10-unit building, you got quarter million dollars in equity, but it's break-even cash flow. Well, if you've right. already got enough coming in from these other places, then you should be good. And uh-huh. so what I started doing was I started buying uh, these little city row houses where I had hard money loans, where I had lenders that were willing to amortize the loans like over five or six or seven years at 10% interest. But they lent me the money to, to do the purchase and the renovation. And so I was able to get these with nothing out of pocket. They had break even cash flow. But then in six or seven years, I had a free and clear. And so wow. that was like third phase for me. And that's what I started to do. And uh, yeah. yeah, it worked out really well. But I want to mention one more thing. I know we've only got a couple of minutes, but this is the power of the networking stuff that I'm talking about. I got a call from my appliance repair guy several years ago and invites me out to lunch. Okay, I'll get out to lunch with him. I got out to lunch with anybody. I mean, it's the networking thing. He told me he was selling his business. He was going to have a million dollars on January 1st. And he wanted to know if I wanted to borrow it. Well, that's kind of shocking. You know, I'm sitting at lunch. My appliance guy wants to lend me a million dollars. And I looked at him and I said, I'm just curious, like, why'd you call me? And he says, your tenants have been your reference. He says, every time we go to any of your units to replace a refrigerator or repair a stove or something, your tenants always speak highly of you. We don't go in there and hear, man, that shit ain't worked in six months. And my heat ain't worked in six months. And the bathtub's been leaking, you know, like, he never hears any complaints from my tenants. My tenants were my reference. And my tenants, most of them don't even have a job. They're on like Section 8 and stuff like that. But they spoke so highly of me that it impressed this guy so much. He wanted to take me out to lunch and offer to lend me a million dollars. Wow. That's, that's the value wow. of doing the right thing and having a good reputation. If, if there's any takeaway, like that's it right there. Yeah, and your def- definitely. Person, you're good. Well, quickly, kind of tell folks where they can find you. I'm going to wrap this up. Yeah, uh, probably the best place is my Facebook. I have a group, Mark Owens, R-E-I. That's probably the best place to go. I got some videos on there and, you know, that I put on there just to help people. I'm not selling anything. I'm not doing any coaching or anything right now. But, you know, hopefully you'll find something on there that might be able to help you. Mark, you're a legend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate your time today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm absolutely I'm honored to be here. And I'm very I'm grateful that people would even care what I think.
You may have heard the phrase, there are a thousand ways to make a thousand dollars in real estate. Well, now you can actually tune into the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast with over a thousand, believe it, or a thousand podcasts and still going. The best real estate investing advice ever show is hosted by a very good friend of mine, Joe Fellers. Joe talks to influential thought leaders. We share the best advice ever with none of the fluff. You've got to check this stuff out. So listen and subscribe at bestevershow.com. That's bestevershow.com.